Good morning, everyone watching live on BAM YouTube. Let me know in the comments where you are tuning in from. The hot sheet covers what you need to know about the real estate industry in a 24-hour time period. On today's hot sheet, I will discuss housing inventory steep fall, why New Yorkers want to move out, and new insights on the urban exodus. Today is Monday, April 17th, 2023. I am Byron Lazine, and the hot sheet starts now. Make sure if you're coming back to the hot sheet and you are a regular listener or live streamer, make sure you hit the thumbs up. It's the best way to support it. Make sure you, you like this video and consider sharing it today with someone new to the hot sheet. We have so much to cover. There's so much packed into the daily download down below where you can just sign up once and you get all of the charts and sources that we use on this show every single day. This shows every Monday through Friday when the markets are open and, and it's the only YouTube show that tells you everything you need to know about the housing market in a 24 hour time period. So let's jump right into it, starting with our inventory update, as we always do on Monday morning. Uh, housing Wire, Logan Motoshami put out late last night the inventory update and it fell 5,383 homes last week. New listing data is still trending at an all-time low as well. Okay, so last week we're like, we got that little bit of pop. It was in the in the hundreds. I think it was eight hundred, if memory serves me correctly. I can pull up the exact number of what we got last week. We're we're searching for that inventory bottom. Okay, we're we're searching for that moment that we can point to and say this is the bottom of 2023's inventory market. This was the date that inventory started going up and just continued to go up. Yeah, last week was 823 single family homes. Um, now new listing data is even worse than last week, okay? So last week we had new listings at 55,591. Uh, this week it's at 49,045. So new listings trending all time low. Inventory. We just lost five, you know, so the 800 that we came last week, we lost 6X that number, okay? Um, now, last that this time last year, inventory also fell, uh, and it fell from 410 to 405,000 homes. This year, we're, we're falling from, um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's what it fell this year, the 5,000. Last year, it rose because we're already, we had already bottomed out last year, okay? Uh, we rose from 258,000 to 267,000. So this week, last year, we rose um, almost 10,000 homes where we just lost 5,000. Now you look at those numbers and you're like, wow, you know, we got so much more inventory than last year. We do, but last year was an all time low. And you can see here on the inventory chart that 435,000 homes puts us well below 2020, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, you know, 15, 16, 17, we were close to a million homes actively on the market. So we're nowhere close to historic norms as it relates to inventory. Um, we are above last year's number. And as we talked about a bunch here, when you compare last year to this year, great, we've got more homes, but how much of it is affordable? How much is meeting the demand 
of those boomers and millennials that are making up the most of the home shoppers. Okay. Uh, new listings well below last year. Okay. So you can see here, uh, new listings at that 49,000 mark where last year we were up over 60,000. I'll give you the exact numbers. Yeah. Last year, new listings for the week were 67,567 this week, 49,045. So this isn't helping the overall inventory number. Uh, overall inventory is just the homes that are available to purchase, not the NAR number, which includes escrows and pendings. 2021, we are 66,000 for new listings for the week. I mean, look at 15, 16, and 17. Uh, a more normalized market in the spring when you see the majority of the homes go onto the market. 94,000 in 2015, 86,000 in 16. 78, almost 79,000 in 2017. Sellers are the ones that even want to sell this spring are like, yeah, but I'm concerned about selling my house, getting it listed, it going on the market, selling quickly because there's no inventory. And then interest rates go up and I can't find a house and I'm stuck. I don't, you know, I, I don't know where I'm going to move. That's the fear and the concern of many sellers. If you and your market can provide solutions to that problem, you're way ahead of the game, right? Whether it's a robust rental inventory, whether it's an off-market list of homes where people would move at the right price and do an off-market deal. If you're an agent, these are the tools in the toolbox right now that are necessary to have great conversations with people who are thinking about selling in 2023. Uh, or it could be, hey, if you're relocating to a new market, like, you know, Florida inventory is going up. Texas inventory is going up, right? That's not the case in every market, okay? There's not the case in a lot of Northeast markets. So if they're moving to one of those locations, you might be able to provide certainty to that next move, to that journey. If you can handle the process of helping them get into the next place, okay? Again, if you want to grab all of our charts, they're down below um, in the daily download. This is from Altos Research, single family active inventory on a seven day period. So we're up 51% year over year, but we're down 52.4% from 2019. Okay. You can see that we're above uh, the last two years on current active inventory, uh, but well below any of those other years. That That's a, an indicator for anybody who's thinking about selling their house, but, and does have a place to go. And then the, the conversation is like, they're so uneducated. It's like, yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know if now's the right time. I mean, there's never been a better time. Look, look at your competition. It's non-existent. There will someday, I don't think it's, it's this year, but there will someday be, uh, years closer to the competitive, um, normalized years of 2015 through 2020. Don't think it'll be this year. So don't go kidding anybody. I do think that there will be inventory increases by the quarter four because of things like tax assessments going up because of things like the recession, which we talked about a bunch last week here on the hot sheet. Uh, I think there's going to be more economic uncertainty that creates inventory in quarter four, uh, but that does not help us here in the spring market. Uh, there's an interesting Wall Street Journal article uh, that just came out over the weekend. How severe is the housing shortage? It depends on how you def define shortage. This is something I've been talking about a whole bunch. Okay. So here are the numbers that might be interesting on um, 
on where we are in a shortage for housing. Okay. Everyone does seem to agree that we're in a shortage, but the numbers vary quite a bit. So national low income housing coalition says there's a shortage of 7.3 million units. So national low income housing coalition has the biggest number makes sense because I'm in agreement. We've got no affordable homes in this country. Very few of them. Realtor.com is the next closest at 6.5 million um, homes of a shortage. Mortgage finance company Fannie Mae says 4.4 million shortage. Uh, Up for Growth, which is a policy group focused on the housing shortage. So they're focused on this. They say it's 3.8 million. John Burns Research and Consulting, which we source here a whole bunch, puts it at 1.7 million. So you've got a, a whole bunch of these numbers, a wide range from 7.3 to 1.7. Uh, I've used the number 5 million a lot. N- nobody's right on the number 5 million, but I guess if you take all of these and average them out, that's probably where you'd end up. So uh, we've got 142 million housing units in this country, but, th- but this is quite a big range, the Wall Street Journal says. The reason for the variability is that these estimates aren't all making the same claim, okay? So when we say, you know, when John Burns is saying we've got 1.7 million homes shortage, they're saying that there are homes available. Okay. To be clear, uh, there's a sense, this is what John Burns uh, says, John Burns himself. There's a sense that it feels right, meaning the bigger numbers, because housing is so expensive. What he's saying is there's homes available. They're just very expensive. And so I tend to lean more towards the other numbers because we know, and if you're an agent, let us know in the comments, if you're experiencing anything affordable in your market, what you would consider affordable in your market, still receiving 10 or more offers over this past weekend. I can point to stories in every single city where there are 10, 20, 30 offers on a new listing that is considered affordable for the market and has pride of ownership. It's been well-maintained. It's it's not falling apart. It doesn't need a whole bunch of work, okay? Um, up for growth, which was which I gave their number, uh, assumes that people have formed households at the same ages as they did in the year 2000. The fact that they haven't, okay? So people haven't been uh, forming households at that same rate. Um, the group concludes reflects a shortage, okay? I've got a chart on that from the Wall Street Journal. Again, you can get all of these down below in the daily download. So you can see households have gone, have increased. Okay. Um, in recent years, that's that blue line households going up. Uh, we've seen in the last, uh, the number of households formed over the past decade exceeds the number of housing units where construct, uh, where construction has started. Okay. And you see starts that are dipping down below, um, Households up over the 2 million number starts closer to the 1.5 million number. That's a realtor.com source that I grabbed from the Wall Street Journal. Okay, so I think it's it's more about what we've been saying here on the hot sheet a whole bunch that we just don't have the affordable units that we need. And that's, that's where people are really feeling this shortage. Where there's been a uh, feeling of maybe not a housing shortage, but a housing glut because of people fleeing is New York City. 
New York Post reports nearly a third of New Yorkers want to move out, fed up with crime, housing costs, poor schools, and more. This is according to a poll. Okay, so New Yorkers are so worried about crime, sky-high housing costs, and these struggling schools, 27% of state residents said they want to move away in the next five years. Now, I'm going to get to a Bloomberg article after we cover this one that might contradict. Now, New York Post, they tend to lean maybe a little bit towards bashing the city. Bloomberg, maybe a little bit more supportive. Um, so anyways, a stunning 30% of respondents also uh, cited inept political leadership and soaring taxes as reasons for reasons for wanting to flee. Okay, I think some of the Bloomberg numbers are fascinating. And, uh, you know, this is just a poll. Who, who was polled here? I, I, we don't know. Um, Angela Gutierrez, 38 of East Harlem, one of the many New Yorkers who said she will ditch the state. We're going to Pennsylvania at the end of the month. The home health aide and mother of three told the Post, we moved twice in the last three years, moved out of the Bronx, and it is better here, uh, but not safe. Where's here? She's, mm, oh, Harlem, East Harlem, right? Okay, so the, uh, she's saying East Harlem was, was better than the Bronx. Um, adding that all the crazy people have driven her family away. Everything is so expensive. They're raising the rent again, and we just can't do it. It's going up almost $800 a month. Okay. Not each month, but that it's going to go up 800 a month, uh, moving forward if she wants to stay. So we're moving down to where her sister-in-law lives. I think anytime you have a family pull and when you have children like, um, like Miss Gutierrez here, it makes more sense to move closer to family. You get help, especially if you have a cheaper cost of living. All of that makes sense. And, and these are the people that are going to move in 2023 that have a family pull. Now, when is she going to move? It's right now. She's moving in the spring market when most people make the move. This, this is agents. This is where you unlock the deals for 2023. We know there's going to be less transactions. A lot of them are going to happen in the next 90 to 120 days. The people that need to make a move, that have a family reason to make this move, they're doing it now. A total of 40 uh, respondents said New York is not a good place to raise children, uh, including an alarming 61% of black residents and 26% said the overall quality of education is fair or poor as statewide uh, statewide debates rages over opening more charter schools. Okay, Here, here's an interesting chart that kind of breaks it all down. Um, 27% of New Yorkers say they're going to leave in the next five years. 31% will retire and live somewhere else. 67% rate New York fair, poor for affordability. 60% fair, poor as a as a place to retire. 57% fair, poor for political system. 49% uh, fair, poor for public safety. Okay. I actually thought that number would be higher. Having some friends in New York that they're not happy about um, safety right now, crime, uh, 39% fair, poor as a place to raise children. Now, when I was growing up, going into New York, you never had any concerns. I think these numbers were far lower when it comes to safety. Uh, you never had concerns about safety or, you know, never felt unsafe in the city. You could walk around. I hadn't been during, during the panty at all. I went there um, I went to the real deal office actually. And I was walking around saying, I met a friend after in Bryant park, um, which is semi close to, to Hudson yards where, 
where I was uh, in between where he was coming from rather and in, in Hudson Yards. Um, and so I was walking around the city and one thing I did notice, I didn't feel unsafe. Um, but one thing I did notice was like everybody was smoking weed. It's like turned into uh, Woodstock in in Manhattan. Like the, the streets are just filled with people lighting up joints, which was I hadn't been there in two or three years. So it was very different. I used to go once a month and never really experienced that. So that was different. I didn't feel unsafe. Um, there was a little dirtiness, but there's always a, there's always a little dirt on the city. Um, you know, so I, I didn't, I didn't do a lot of exploring though, either. So I didn't, I, and I was kind of just in those areas. I, I don't really know where a lot of the areas that are of high concern would be. Okay. So New York post, uh, did, you know, this is a survey that they did and, and so, or a poll that they did and, and there there's those numbers. Bloomberg, Bloomberg paints a different picture. Okay. Bloomberg says that the pandemic did not upend us geography. Three years after COVID began, big cities are still standing, but work and housing shifts are translating to some enduring changes. Okay. The early days of the pandemic, we remember that it, people wanted out of the city. Okay. When, when lockdowns were, were on us and, and it's like, let's get out. Okay. And so there was a lot of predictions about the death of cities. You can go back and roll the tape back. I've been saying it for two, three years. The cities will not, and I'm talking specifically about New York, New York's not going anywhere. Okay. Jerry Seinfeld, I remember wrote a great piece about this. Uh, I referenced it in a real word podcast a couple of years ago. And while, when everybody was saying the city's going to completely go away, I was saying no. And I still stand by that. I don't believe that. Some of these Bloomberg numbers might blow your mind. They certainly support that these cities aren't going anywhere despite some of the issues. Okay. Uh, big, big cities ultimately have proved incredibly resilient. The urban exodus, such as it was, proved mainly temporary. Many who left came back and immigrants once again started to flow into large U.S. cities as pandemic era restrictions waned. Now, immigration is way up, whether legal or illegal. I'm just saying it's way up in the last couple of years. And so that that has also uh, played a part in Bloomberg's sourcing that. With the 20 largest cities seeing the number of immigrants triple from 2021 to 2022, young people began to head back to cities to access their, uh, access their labor markets, amenities, dating pools, and social opportunities. After surging to a historic high of 17.8% in 2020, the share of young adults ages 24 to 35, 34 living with their parents dropped by nearly two percentage points to 15.6% in 2022, okay? Uh, Manhattan gained, gained an estimated 17,500 residents over the last year after significant losses in prior years. Okay. So they had significant losses leading up to this, but they did gain. Now it's not a lot for a, an island of millions, but it is something to note that they didn't continue to lose residents in Manhattan specifically. Okay. More people are moving to New York city from elsewhere in the U S okay. The number of moves to a New York city zip code is higher than before the pandemic. Okay. So uh, you can see where we are here over on the right, 10,000 moves and, uh, well, 10,000 moves would be the top line. Okay. But this is a, above March, 2000, 
and 19 January 2020 January 2022 was was above that so um this is a Melissa change of address data net flows are not represented here so they did not subtract move outs okay so that that's a little misleading for sure okay uh New York City shed population in 2022 but Manhattan was the one bureau that did not okay so Bronx lost population like Miscatera's in the New York Post article, uh, Kings Brooklyn lost population, Queens, Staten Island, but Manhattan was the one that gained. This shows an overall loss still. Um, okay, so Bloom Bloomberg, the way they're wording this makes it seem like, listen, I think the exodus is overblown because the numbers aren't off of a cliff, but I think overall this, this is showing us that New York City has lost population. Uh, U.S. migration rates have steady, steadily declined over the last 75 years. Okay. So, uh, people move less. Okay. So this is migration, not immigration, but people moving around migration rates have fallen from over 20% in the late 1940s to under 10% in 1921. This is a real thing. Uh, the law people stay in their homes longer and longer and longer right now. It's one of the hurdles for agents and brokers to overcome with people wanting to put on their house on the market. It's harder to move the longer you've been in your house. Now, if you've been in your house 12 plus years, like a lot of people have, and you have a 3% or lower interest rate, and you don't know where you're going next, yeah, you're going to be immobilized for a period of time. It's going to be really hard to get that person off the fence. Now, here's the other part of this. The return to office in the US remains muted. Okay, so we see the big headlines from Elon emailing his staff at three in the morning from Mark Zuckerberg of Meta saying, come back to the office or leave the company. Amazon getting people back. A lot of these big companies making headlines on their request for off people to return to the office. Okay. If, if that was across the board with every company, which there's a lot of small companies that I speak to where it's like, Hey, we're fully remote and no plans to go back. A lot, a lot of companies that have 100, 200, 300 employees just haven't gotten back to the office full-time or they're doing a hybrid schedule or they've gone completely remote. And so if you pull all of them back, you might see uh, an uptick in, in, city, uh, in city migration, okay? But a lot of companies are seeing, hey, I can get rid of this lease, right? This is why I'm not bullish on offices in the big cities at all. If I can get rid of this big lease and, and help the bottom line and we're, we're just as productive, maybe you're more productive depending on the type of company. I think you're more productive in an office, even though, Hey, BAM's a full remote company. Uh, I just think you go faster when you're, when you're not remote, but, but that's me. Uh, but some companies may, may disagree with that, right? Maybe they're moving faster being remote. Uh, return to the office remains muted. Large U S business districts saw workers return at 49%, so half of pre-COVID levels, okay? You can see here all the way on the left, February 2020, large U.S. business districts where we were, and we've only come back to 50% of that number as we are into the second quarter of 2023. I, friend, I am not bullish on places like San Francisco 
office uh, office buildings, New York City office buildings. There's a lot of empty space in New York City. Now, there's a lot of long-term leases, and I, I don't think it's caught up in New York City. Now, this article also references – here's another interesting uh, nugget. Despite the, the much-publicized challenges with crime and luring workers back to the office, Chicago, the city of Chicago, now has more people living downtown than before the pandemic. And you would think that downtown has a lot of these office buildings, okay? So over time, as these office buildings, as, as some of these buildings, like we've seen last week in California, some of these buildings that go uh, and sell at a major discount, or like we saw you know, others actually go into foreclosure, you'll see some transformations in these districts, okay, in these, in these office districts in cities, okay? Um, they're going to have to figure out a way to make these, and it references it here, um, urban downtowns will never be the same. Okay. So remote work has taken its toll, uh, as of late March 23, 50%. Uh, that was, a, a, a according to castles back to the office barometer, by the way, if you want that source, the phenomenon of empty offices appears to be particularly acute in the U S and in Canada, where long commutes from suburbs are more common. Cities have been decreasing their resilience, uh, so central business districts are the last vestige of the industrial ages packing and stacking of knowledge workers in vertical cubicle farms. Starting as long as two decades ago, many had already begun to add housing and cultural and entertainment amenities in an effort to transform themselves into central cultural, recreational, innovation, and social districts. So some of these office districts, these buildings that are that are just you know, they don't have much character. They're just floors stacked on top of each other to fit desks are going to have to re uh, configure themselves, transform themselves. You know, does that, does that city need more hotels? Can it support more hotels? Is it going to be apartments? Is it going to be condos? Uh, is it going to be some type of a mixed use where people can uh, come together? That all remains to be seen. That'll play out in the long term. Uh, here in the short term, not bullish on on offices, but these cities certainly have not fallen off any cliff. I think it's definitely they still have a lot of concerns, but a lot of these concerns were here before COVID. Maybe not as much as the the crime maybe has accelerated, but the concerns of how expensive it is to live there. Um, some of these you know cities in in cold weather um, states, you know the weather. Uh, the quality of life, a lot of those, the schools, a lot of those problems that were pre-COVID still exist today, yet we haven't seen this cliff um, that people have predicted since COVID where, where these cities are going to be vacant. I still don't believe that for the major ones, and I still believe most of them will make a comeback. You should come back to Florida or maybe make your first trip on May 5th. You should come to the BAM Mastermind. We still have a few spots left. Love to see you here. This is an exclusive, all exclusive, all day golf and mastermind experience. Uh, we're going to be doing personalized Instagram audits, giving you a playbook for your YouTube channel that will actually bring leads like Ken Pozak's channel in Orlando. That's the best local YouTube channel. You're going to be able to uh, build one just like that in your market. We're also going to be doing editing, how to get all this editing done, how to manage it outsource or how to do it in-house to get all of these plans done. And we're going to be spending all day together. So you've got the Q&A. You've got the link below to sign up for that. That's May 5th. It's a Friday. 
make sure you're here. A couple of spots are left. Also today, 11 a.m. on the channel premiering is the Overass podcast. Make sure to subscribe for that. And until tomorrow morning here on the hot sheet. Oh, wait, let's let's just take a look at the tenure. Sorry about that. Sometimes I forget the tenure. You know, I in the comments, just reach out and smack me if I uh, if I forget the tenure. Here we are. We're up. Uh, I don't know why this thing doesn't does that for me. Okay, the tenure is up. Uh, 0 0.04 to 3559. Not great news for where the 30 year uh, fix will come in today. We ended the week back up to six and a half on the 30 year. So, uh, pretty much a six and a half last week on the 30 year. We got down to 6.39, um, but end of the week at six and a half. Might start the week over six and a half. We will see. And we'll have an update tomorrow on the hot sheet. Until then, two to low.